Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com. That's Alienware.com slash deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide in 1912 the famous ship the titanic infamously and tragically sank or did it yeah probably (laughs) i mean yeah probably i mean they made a movie about it you know they couldn't do that if it didn't happen james cameron just doesn't make things up out of whole cloth (laughs) right we've all been to avatar what's the name of the planet pandora we've all been to pandora Mm -hmm. and the fact that i confuse the name of the film with the planet should not dissuade you uh from from the uh veracity of that statement but uh but yeah, there are a lot of conspiracies about the Titanic, and some of them are rabbit holes, absolutely. So let's get all Brock Lovett with this one and search for some underwater treasure. That's a Comedy Bang Bang reference. I hope you're listening to that podcast, too. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. You are you. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. As always, we are joined by our super producer, Tristan McNeil. Uh, Tristan, do you want to wave to us? Okay. Well, everybody will just have to believe us when we say that Tristan was indeed waving. Tristan just communicates in emojis. No. Yeah, we found out. It's it's pretty intense like there's three that he uses there's the o face emoji yeah there's the f- hand on chin yeah. like emoji. the finger yeah and then there's the shocked yeah emoji mm-hmm. i see that one most often yeah so yeah. He, he, he exists swinging between those three emojis you know i, I kind of like it when it's like when they see if you go into a really great restaurant you know it's great because they may only have six things on the menu mm-hmm. but they have mastery over all of those i just look at the pictures I prefer to order off menu. Have you ever been on a cruise? No. I have. No. Really? It's not it's not for me. I didn't uh really think it was for me either uh, upon doing it. But Yes. Interesting uh, experience to be out in the ocean with several thousand other people just on a big floating metal thing. Now was it was it a uh was it like a family cruise or was it a themed cruise because you know those things occur? I could, I don't know exactly what it was. It was um Norwegian, I think was the name of the company. Did you see any icebergs? I saw zero icebergs and I was looking for them. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, for some reason a... they don't hang out in the Caribbean a yes. lot. Yes. <laughs> uh that's Well, you said Norwegian. I figured you were yeah. in Norway. <laughs> that's what I thought too. But it was a Caribbean cruise. It was. And I'm glad you had a good time. How old were you? That wasn't long ago, maybe 2 3 years. Oh, that's where you went. I'm a bad friend. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you said you were at sea, and I thought you were just joking and let it go. To be clear, it wasn't my idea. 
but uh, okay. it was fun. Uh, and we should also mention before we really get cooking with gas here, I don't know if, uh, if any of you folks have, have heard of this before, but a while ago, uh, Matt and Noel and I found out about a, uh, conspiracy themed cruise. Conspira-S-E-A cruise. Conspiracy cruise. And, uh, <laughs> we were, we had briefly, uh, we had briefly kicked around the idea of going, but, I don't know, especially if cruises aren't Noel's thing. And uh, it just seems like an awful lot of like being corralled and kind of, you know, herded around. And I'm not really into shuffleboard, so mm-hmm. I feel like there'd be limited stuff for me. I'd like to travel on cargo ship or via icebreaker into the poles, but I don't know if I would go on a, you know, a normal cruise just because they're their own economies. You know, mm-hmm. like their their own worlds. Yeah, there's no escape. I'd like to ride on a cruise missile. Maybe that'd be cool. That'd be kind of cool with a cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh. Uh, but uh, whether or not uh, we or you are fans of cruises, one thing is for sure: cruises are super popular. People love the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, hop on a boat, get away from it all, see a couple foreign countries, maybe. Uh, the practice of Cruising recreationally entirely for pleasure, you know, where you don't have to bring home like spoils of war or or salmon to smoke or something. Uh, it dates back for a, a while. It began uh, with the formation of something called the Peninsular and Oriental Steam Navigation Company in 1822. Now, they started out as just a shipping company. They're going to take your stuff, put it on a boat and take it somewhere else, wherever you need it to be. But then they realized, hey, maybe there's something else to this. They were uh, going on routes between England and the Iberian Peninsula, and they adopted that name Peninsular Steam Navigation Company from that peninsular <laughs> routing that they were taking. That's a great word, too, peninsular. Yeah. I feel like uh, that uh, some law enforcement officer probably uses that in a sobriety test. Mm-hmm. Like, repeat the following words to me, right? Mm. Rural juror, peninsular. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, they, yeah, Matt is absolutely correct. Uh, they began actually as a, they, they began traveling to this peninsula and to Egypt, uh, to deliver mail as yeah. a, as a postal route, but, uh, they began becoming, you know, known for this great route and you could ride along for a nominal fee. Uh, the first vessel built just for luxury cruising came only a few decades later. Uh, the Prinzessin Victoria Louise of Germany, designed by a guy with the name, get this, Albert Ballin. Yep, designing ships. <laughs> Stacking ducats. Yep. And that was in 1900. And so now fast forward to uh, 2017 as we record this, cruise ships are popular around the globe and uh, the every market trend just indicates that they will become even more popular in the coming years. Wouldn't the, the, the full name be Pleasure Cruise? It's a Pleasure Cruise. Yeah, right? that's a really good point. A Pleasure Cruise. Mm, there's a wide variety of pleasures. Taking a pleasure cruise to Pleasure Island. That's nice. And it is strange to think of how harrowing a journey a long boat trip would be and has been throughout mm. history. Like how many people die when you take a long ship journey uh, back in the day. Uh, even not long before this time in 1900. Mm-hmm. You would have serious issues with having enough food and water on the ship for enough of the people and be comfortable there. And if sickness was a major oh, issue. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, uh, san- sanitary conditions and mm-hmm. spreading disease, you know, and people you hear about people getting, you know, scurvy and whatnot and like, you know, malnutrition. Yeah. Uh, th- I would think uh, the idea of a pleasure cruise had to be a pretty big marketing push to make that fly <laughs> yeah. in 1900. And also probably, you know, for the wealthy, the ones who got to mm-hmm. hang out up top while we know that the steerage, you know, down below was where the, uh, I guess the employees and some of the less um, fortunate passengers mm-hmm. got to hang out. And honestly, guys, it hasn't changed since then. Yeah, in the sea or the air. Have you, have you flown coach? Uh, only. It's rough. <laughs> and why are there always new weird gradations of luxury in planes? There's like 
economy, economy plus. They don't ever say coach anymore. <laughs> they don't change anything though. They just change the wording. I mean, all these mm-hmm. planes that you fly on, they're like the same ones from, they still have ashtrays in the, in right, the right, right. You know? Yep. But we're not talking about planes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it is a good comparison. So, uh, the market predictions estimate that by 2020, almost 25 million people will take a cruise each year. And, of course, disasters occur in every industry, and when something goes wrong in the world of cruise ships, people can die. One of the most famous cruise ship tragedies, yes, that's true, uh, folks, we are getting to a point here. It's not just us talking about whether we're going to take a cruise. We are exploring one of the most infamous tragedies in modern maritime history, the sinking of the Titanic. Well, that's a bummer. I didn't sign up for that. I thought we were just going to talk about cruises. Well, they didn't sign up to sink. Ooh. Or did they? <laughs> like Wait, if, never mind. <laughs> if you want a refund on your ticket for the podcast, then we'll have to sell tickets. There's some cool stuff here, you guys, mm. I, the stuff that I was not aware of and that certainly was not addressed in James Cameron's blockbuster smash Titanic, a love story. Mm-hmm. Which allegedly, uh, have you heard the rumor about Titanic? They got dosed with, uh, LSD or something like that? Oh, I, well, with the making of the film, I heard that James Cameron really just wanted to explore the wreckage in a submarine. Well, he made that movie too. And he did the Marianas Trench in his little yeah. tiny submarine. But no, I heard that he was such a monster that like somebody dosed, was trying to dose him with LSD and ended up like dosing all of the food on the spread or something like that for the, 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 the whole crew and cast with LSD and they, they ended up uh, causing some issues. On oh, wow. I had not heard that. Would that work? Would that work? Someone with, uh, don't, don't worry, we won't put you on blast, but someone with experience in that, in that field, let us know if... <laughs> experience if, in dosing multiple people? <laughs> well, if LSD would work in food. I had never heard that. That's fascinating. Oh, wait, guys, I found it. So uh, apparently it was some uh, LSD-laced chowder that was intended for Mr. Cameron, but uh, others ended up eating it, and the assistant... This is on an io9 article, by the way, excellent site. Uh, the assistant director apparently got so freaked out that he stabbed uh, James Cameron in the face with a pencil. Oh, my gosh. Well, also, you shouldn't eat other people's chowder. Yeah. There are multiple lessons to learn here. And, <laughs> and and the history of the – well, I don't know if the history of the real Titanic is as interesting and bizarre as that hi- historical note on the film. But we do have the history of the actual Titanic, too, which is relatively LSD-free. Yes, it dates back to 1907 when a guy named James Bruce Ismay, who was the son of this other guy named Thomas, he founded the White Star Line of ocean liners on the idea that people would travel farther by ship if the vessels were just luxurious, luxurious. enough for them to to want to stay on that ship. Like a, a pleasure cruise. Yeah, the idea of I don't want to be on a ship for two days, but – if I can go bowling on that ship, mm-hmm. maybe if, I will. If there's a tub, if it's opulent, mm-hmm. if there are servants. You if know. I can drink and as much as I want whenever I want, sure. For some reason, I feel like people in the early 20th century did that anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like getting drunk on a cruise ship would be a recipe for disaster because it's like, what if you even have mild seasickness? Wouldn't that be just exacerbated by, you know, alcohol consumption? I don't know. That's a, I, I, I wonder if you, I, I imagine that many people, uh, become acclimated to it mm. if they're on for a week. Get your sea legs. Get your sea legs. Yes, exactly. And mostly people are on the slots or in the casino, just so you know, on a cruise ship. So part of the reason that, uh, Ismay was inspired to do this, uh, he had a partner, Lord Peary, who was chairman of Harland and Wolf Shipbuilders, and Peary kept talking about the Mauritania and the Lusitania, which were the newest vessels of something called the Cunard Line. Ismay and Peary were convinced that they could create bigger and better and more luxurious ships. So then they imagined three giants, the gigantic which would <laughs> isn't that an awesome name? Uh, it later would change its name to the Britannic. That was smart, right? Much <laughs> yeah. more luxurious sounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Olympic mm-hmm. and the Titanic. The the Titanic and these ships would, would uh, they're going to be so posh, you guys. You have no idea how posh they're going to be. They're yeah. going to be fast. They're going to be so safe. We're going to get you there in style. 
And they're huge. I mean, yeah, gigantic was an appropriate name. It just <laughs> doesn't have the same ring as Britannic. Yeah. <laughs> but then you, you think Titanic is after Titan, mm-hmm. which is another just giant thing saying Titan or giant. I wonder if they had another name for Olympic and were just too embarrassed to put it in the history books. Was it just big? <laughs> Bigly? Big boy. Big boy, Bigatron. Uh, so the Titanic itself was, you know, not ironically named. It was almost uh, 900 feet long and it was – Almost 93 feet wide. It weighed almost 45,000 tons. It had two reciprocating engines, each of which were about four stories tall. That's incomprehensible for me. There were, there were three propellers. Uh, two of them were like a little over 23 feet in diameter. And then there was one that was a four blade propeller that was uh, 17 feet um, near the ship's 17 feet in diameter near the ship's rudder. And it could make enough, it could generate enough horsepower to uh, get it to the insane speed of 27.6 miles per hour, which I know does not sound impressive. But again, this thing is like 900 feet long to be that huge. Yeah. And then stopping it is an issue. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and the ship was so massively titanic that it actually could not be constructed on existing docks and launching sites. So they actually had to build a whole new set of docks called the White Star Docks and the uh, Great Gantry, which was a series of 15 massive cranes that allowed them to accommodate all of the moving parts of the shipbuilding process. So – the Titanic was finished in 1912, and it took an estimated 11,000 people to build it. I can't even picture what that would – like, how do you even, like, manage 11,000 people? Is that like an Egyptian pyramid? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's insane. And all in all, um, the cost was an estimated $7.5 million dollars. Which today would amount with inflation to about $189,186,707.90. And that's in 2017 dollars. And here's the big thing. They called it unsinkable. Spoiler alert. You really got to follow through with that kind of promise, you know. They were wrong. They were so, so very wrong. And here – lies the kernel of today's episode, K-E-R-N-E-L, not, not kernel. Let's do a commercial break. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. 
And we are back. As you know, uh, well, as we, we make very few assumptions on this show, but for this, we're just going to assume that everyone knows that the Titanic is indeed sinkable and sank. What you may not know is the true story of how this disaster occurred. So we're going to set the scene for you and walk through this pretty quickly hopefully, and uh, we're relying a lot on some excellent work by our colleagues at How Stuff Works website uh, on their article, How the Titanic Worked, which you can read for more information. But things are eventually going to get crazy, right? Yes. Cool. The ship set sail from its launching site in Belfast to Southampton, England in April of 1912. Titanic picked up its passengers from England and moved along to France and then uh, to Queenstown, Ireland to get the rest. Collectively, there were about 2,208 passengers and 899 officers and crew. So going back to the class system we mentioned earlier, uh, there were 329 first-class travelers, several of whom were titans of industry, mm-hmm. or giants of industry, so we don't say titan all the time, 285 second-class travelers and 710 third-class travelers. So let's break down some of these classes really fast. Let's look at the cream of the crop, that first class. We're talking primarily wealthy industrialists and the people that they call their families. Hopefully, actually, their families. Their entourages, perhaps. <laughs> sure, their personal servants. Mm-hmm. And among these people uh, were, well, two well-known. John Jacob Astor the fourth of the Astor family that you may have heard of before on this show. Uh, one of these wealthy families that made their money on what, Ben? Opium? Opium. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then J.P. Morgan, another name that you have heard before, undoubtedly. And Mr. Morgan was forced to cancel his passage due to – insert reason here. There are so many uh, different reasons that have been given for him having to cancel. He says one thing. Other people see him doing other things. We'll explore it a little later. Among the second-class passengers were Businessmen, members of the clergy, uh, there were also, uh, teachers and a, a chauffeur who, uh, were traveling second class and then third class or steerage, uh, the part where, who was that actor? Leonardo DiCaprio? Mm-hmm. That's where he would have been. Yep. In, in the, in the Titanic film. Uh, first class tickets were pretty expensive, around 25 to $4,500, that's between 44000 and a little over 80000 today. Whoa. An $80,000 ticket. Now, granted, that's top of the line. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you essentially have an apartment on the sea at that point. Yeah. But then you look at the third-class ticket, and it's going to be obtained for around $35 at the time, or 600 ish dollars now. Wow. It sounds like we're QVC in this For thing. which one? For third, third class, the steerage. 600? 600 bucks. That's pretty pricey. Today's dollars. Yeah, but, no, I know, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, even for today's dollars, if I'm paying 600, I would expect more than th- steerage. Yeah, <laughs> but $600 to, I don't, how many day cruise? You know, you're talking multiple days oh, that's out true. on a ship. That's with not just food like a flight and I got all you. that stuff. I got you. But let me also point out that for that ticket, I, I don't know if we have this in our notes, but it is true that the conditions did radically differ. There were two bathtubs for everybody in third class, like two bathtubs for 700 people. But that's also where all the sweet Irish dancing took place. Yes, if we are, if we are to believe the excellent documentary by James Cameron, right? Uh, yeah, and all right, so fast forward, it's, uh, April 14th, 1912, third day of the, of the voyage. The water is around 28 degrees Fahrenheit. It's very cold. It's dangerously cold if you're out in the open ocean. Around noon of that day, the Titanic's Marconi wireless operators, they had a Marconi radio, very cutting edge at this time, but also very new technology. Uh, they received uh, the first of what would be a total of four cautionary messages about large ice flows ahead. They got a second message at 535 from a ship that reported three icebergs just 19 miles north of Titanic's path. And just one hour before the collision, a vessel named the Californian messaged the Titanic, (laughs) we are stopped and surrounded by ice. And apparently, 
the person who was manning the Marconi, which is what they called it at that time, mm-hmm. the person who was manning the Marconi on the Titanic replied, shut up, I am busy, I am working Cape Race. The captain, Captain Smith, wasn't worried about icebergs. After all, he was piloting a mass or captaining rather, a mm-hmm. massive steel behemoth. Instead, the story goes, he was concerned about shattering speed records set by other massive maritime behemoths. Uh huh. I can imagine that taking your mind off of what's around you and just focusing on the instrumentation going on. And he tried to be, you know, he tried to be responsible. It is his job. So he told an officer named Leitler, who was stationed on the captain's bridge, that if the night became too hazy, he should be alerted immediately and they would slow the ship's speed. But the night was clear, and so the Titanic sped on. There were two officers, one by the name of Frederick Fleet, the other Reginald Lee, who were in the observation port. Um, Fleet was getting to the end of his shift when he saw the iceberg and said, Iceberg, right ahead! Thank you. So they sounded the alarm and they called down to the bridge and a full 37 seconds uh, passed before the first officer, William M. Murdoch, shut off the engines, dropped the watertight doors um, to the bottom compartments because the ship was made up of these different compartments that were able to flood and mm-hmm. keep the water from spreading elsewhere. And that's a big issue that led to the ultimate sinking of the ship was that these things did not work as expected. Um, so he killed the engines, shut the doors, and turned the ship away from its front end so that the iceberg uh, took they took the hit on the side of the mm-hmm. ship, right? Right. They did not have enough time to make a complete stop or even to turn away. Stopping the ship would have required a half mile, and this iceberg was 900 feet from the ship. Yeah, that's that... Um Oh no moment if you're in your car and you're in traffic or something and you realize you have to stop, but uh oh. Hmm. I, I'm too close to fully apply the brakes here. I'm going to have to go to the side of this vehicle or something. Yeah. And I mean, what ended up happening was the iceberg just kind of shredded the side of the ship and dragged along the edge of it, right? Mm-hmm. Creating a huge scar that just hemorrhaged, you know? Mm-hmm. And for a few minutes, uh, it looked like their last second maneuver may have worked from the surface the ship appeared to have missed the iceberg but underneath whereas we know icebergs are much larger right a protruding fragment of ice ripped a hole through the titanic's hull just like uh noel said if the ship was shuddering or or showing initial um irregularities in movement it was subtle and went undetected or excused as the heavy groaning machinery uh, when Captain Smith surveyed the flood damage, he and a fellow named Thomas Andrews said the hole must be nearly 300 feet wide. But in reality, it was a tear, uh, smaller. It was smaller. It was like six lacerations, about three and a half square feet. But not only did the captain's navigation attempt not work, it made things worse. It moved the Titanic from the sturdiest place to withstand the impact to the most vulnerable point, and even the smallest gash caused these terrible results. So earlier we mentioned how the compartments could close, right? And these watertight things to prevent the spread of flood water. Five of the ship's compartments had already begun to flood, and Captain Smith said the ship was going to sink unquestionably. We have... He predicted about an hour or an hour and a half left before it would slip to the bottom of the Atlantic. And here's the thing. The Titanic didn't just sink. There are reports from eyewitnesses that testified that it actually broke completely in half. And the science actually supports these accounts. You see the middle of the ship, you've got all the stress of these, um, the water-filled compartments that we're talking about, right? That's a ton of weight. And as one of the, like, ends began to keel out of the water, like, come up and rise, you got all that weight in the center, and it just broke the thing in half. There's so much pressure there. The stress reached around 3,500 pounds per square inch on the boat deck itself, and that's 50% more stress than this whole ship was meant to take. There were plenty of life jackets to go around. That's the good news. They were built of cork, which is weird, but Mm -hmm. not so weird back then, one would hope. However, there was of the uh, 2,208 passengers and the almost 900 crew members, uh, there was room for only 1,176 for them in the lifeboats. 
at 12.25 a.m., uh, so April 15th now, the captain gave the crew orders to start lowering the lifeboats, leading the first-class passengers to the boat deck. Yep. Uh, and remember when Billy Zane kicked that little girl off the lifeboat? I remember. Was that a, Billy Zane? Billy Zane, yeah. <laughs> no, not not to disparage. I mean, Billy Zane, the actor playing a, a, a jerky first-class passenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was Rose's uh, original love interest. But as it turned out, the scrappy young lad, Leonardo DiCaprio, won her heart. With At drawing. least momentarily. At well, least. Well, no, he, I, he I think she was in love he, with he, him. He died. She was in love with him for the rest <laughs> of her life. Can I spoil? Is it okay to spoil Titanic? I think so. Yeah. Kind of, that's sort of like spoiling the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Right, right, right. right. So there were 14 lifeboats that could carry 65 people, two emergency sea boats that could carry 35 people, and four collapsible boats uh, that could carry 49 people. By 2 a.m., all these boats had been lowered. Half of the ship's passenger and crew still remained, and that part from the film is a true story. The band did play on as the ship sank. Those folks have some real... They have real spine. They have a lot of sand. Mm, a lot you know? of sand. A lot of grit. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a family-friendly way to say Cajones? that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to go with first, actually. Uh, they played, the song of choice they played, if this is ever in a um, very bizarre, macabre trivia game for you, uh, the song of choice was Nearer My God to Thee, which is a uh, old hymn. <sighs> when a ship called the Carpathia arrived to rescue survivors, they found a floating disaster. You know, lifeboats are adrift, passengers are shivering to death, surely deeply traumatized. The ship got 14 boats and 712 survivors, which means more than uh, 1,500 passengers and crew were dead. And I'm sure, maybe not this specifically, but, you know, regulations now would require you not to book more people than you have safety equipment for right i mean yeah that's a pretty big oversight you know let yeah. these people buy tickets with that you know six hundred dollar inflated ticket value price for that low level also that's where the flooding happened too was down in steerage mm-hmm. and they were you know having to deal with that and then they get up top escape only to realize that they are doomed yeah nowhere Appar- to go. yeah apparently the third class passengers were not allowed up until the first and class first and second class passengers have been accounted for which is just disgusting. Every time, every time I think I've got a handle on uh, humanity's dark potential, man, something like this happens. This show is changing me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's something to be said about cruising in a place where if you do fall into the water, it's over pretty quickly. Like that, I don't know. That just seems like a bad so idea. Cold. Yeah, yeah. Just seems like a really bad idea unless you've got like contingency upon contingency uh, you know but then also you know this is the top of the line it's best in class ship it's Uh, unsinkable right 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 but uh, apparently not unbreakable Mm. or unterrible yeah Uh, so that's the official story Uh, it's a a tremendous loss of life uh, a financial catastrophe a cultural catastrophe the Titanic will spend almost a century rotting at the bottom of the ocean, creating, you know, a new shipwreck ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And that is the official story. But what if there were something more to the story? Here's where it gets crazy. So as with any large-scale disaster in the modern age, we all know this, alternative theories about the Titanic begin to circulate in the years following the event. So we got together and looked at some of the most prevalent uh, some of the most plausible, which there are a few that might surprise you, mm-hmm. and, of course, the strangest. So what do we have? Uh, not so fast, you guys. Mm. First, we have to hear a word from our sponsor. You rogue. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right. Sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. 
Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. The first theory surrounding the sinking of the Titanic is one you may have heard, and it has to do with the global banking elites that sank their ship to kill off their opponents. And people who think that this is true believe that this was essentially um, an assassination of sorts, a uh, scattershot, a wide shot assassination attempt on several highly important people in the banking world. I feel like there was a like a British crime show I saw where there was a storyline involving a mass murderer that was actually trying to assassinate a very specific group of people, but just killed a bunch of people to cover the tracks of the motive. Oh, I see. This is kind of like that. Make it look like an accident. Well, we know that people have uh, bizarre plane crashes often. Um, So this this then would be an act of terrorism. Who were they actually after? You know, they they weren't killing the purposely killing the entire boat. They wanted a few people, right? Like like Noel is mentioning. Well, well, you got the Aster, the the gentleman Aster, John Jacob, Isidore Strauss and Benjamin Guggenheim, another familiar name. You you know, rings a little something there. Of the Guggenheim, like, museum and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yes, all were millionaires, and they were all opposed to this idea of creating a central bank, a private central bank within the United States, because it's going to negatively affect their personal fortunes and, you know, the fingers that they've got in the pies of the banking world inside the U.S. Mm-hmm. I hate that analogy. I know, it's gross, fingers but it's... Pies. it's like, have you ever seen somebody actually have their finger in a pie? I saw a movie back in the early 2000s. That's American Pie, and it wasn't a finger. <laughs> Right? Yes. You're right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the pictures. The horrific pictures. Oh, the humanity and the pie. But, but yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. So these three men in particular, according to this theory, were against the formation of the Federal Reserve. Oh, yes. The creature from Jekyll Island. Yes, so named because the uh, plans for the Federal Reserve were controversially created in a uh, a fancy pants island off the coast of Georgia, Mm -hmm. uh, the state, not the country, uh, in 1913. So it is a controversial thing privatizing, you know, the central bank for an entire country. Whoa, 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 whoa. The word we use now is quasi-government, quasi-government entity. Okay, so according to this. Uh, J.P. Morgan and Rockef- uh, Rockefeller and the various franchises, uh, excuse me, families of mm-hmm. the Rothschild thing, uh, were conspiring to remove, uh, what could be, uh, substantive opposition. Here's the thing. It's true that J.P. Morgan had a personal suite aboard the ship with his own private deck, mm-hmm. if you could believe that. And, uh, he had a customized, you know, living area in there. Uh, he was booked on the ship's maiden voyage, but instead 
he canceled the trip and you you may you heard us earlier allude to what the various reasons why what did what did you guys hear oh man i heard all kinds of stuff i mean i heard he said he wasn't feeling so well so mm-hmm. he, he, he was gonna stay home and, and, and convalesce but he may have just stayed in france remember how we were saying how the titanic left uh, went over to france then went to ireland mm-hmm. well it seems that he he stayed in the French resort to enjoy, you know, some morning massages, some sulfur baths, the, the kind of things you do when you're What's a Morgan. A sulfur bath. Sulfur bath, man. It's like a bath with sulfur instead of water. Yeah. No, I'm, I am so, <laughs> I am lying. I am, I'm not. Are you lying because you don't know? No, I, I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine. For exfoliation or something? Healing. If, it, if it's supposed to be restorative. I mean, mm. this is a time when people really believed in curative springs. You oh. know? So uh, it was probably, a a natural, naturally occurring uh, water source that had sulfurous content in the water. A lot of, Smells. Anima, a lot of enemas going on around this yeah. time, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John yeah. Harvey Kellogg and all uh-huh. that stuff. Yeah. Mm. It smells great in a sulfur bath, too. yogurt all over your parts. Not to mention uh, the guy who invented graham crackers. That's a whole nother. that's a whole nother. I don't know his story. We'll leave that for another day. <laughs> you know, Ziploc full of gummy bears. <laughs> the whole point is that Morgan's abrupt cancellation or yeah. decision to not be on the ship seems That's not suspect. suspicious at all. Yeah. And we will also, just as a side note, this is so interesting. We will also do another episode in the future, if you would like, on the bizarre, strange origins of commonplace snacks and silverware and other seemingly innocuous products. You are absolutely right, Matt. This last minute cancellation, whatever reason he did, apparently the story is that it was last minute, it fueled speculation uh, that he had advanced knowledge of the fate of the Titanic. And there are there are a few variations in this theory. In, in some versions, um, the three men on the boat were opposed to income tax legislation. Chronologically, that one doesn't really work out. Um, according to other people, the Jesuits, for some reason, lured these men on their ship. Uh, the, we, we should point out that there is also not, um, there's not a lot of hard evidence on, on this mm. one in particular. And it, while we do know that maybe, um, plane crashes can occur, we know that there have been questionable deaths or, um, air quote accidents before, um, this seems like it's asking a lot. Like who would who would bring down um a ship that's worth a hundred and ninety million dollars to kill three people? That's exactly my thought of of spending that much money to make the ship and only to have it, you know, destroyed. Well, I mean, Unless you're yeah. getting insurance. There's also like there's better ways to assassinate people easier. Not that it don't rely on Hitting an iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a lot of happenstance going on here. A yeah. lot of like, yeah, it's like a Rube Goldberg. It really is. I mean, I, I, it would be brilliant. It would be brilliant, but mm. I fear this is a stretch. Some of the other ones, though, are a little less stretchy. Well, here's here's the other thing. Like, did what if the Titanic never sank at all? That's preposterous. Go on. That's a real one that I, that I, uh, you with, know it's a real one, man. It's on here. We're looking at the same outline. With which I was not familiar. So we said earlier that there were three boats in this giant class, right? Uh, the gigant, Gigantica, the Massive Ania. The big boy. Yeah. Big boy. And, uh. Shoddy too dope. Uh huh. And little nuggets. Whatever their names are, their official names when they launch were the Olympic, the Britannic, and the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if, as some people argue, the Titanic, rather than sinking, was the uh, victim or beneficiary of identity theft? What if it was switched at the last minute for its sister ship, the Olympia? I just don't understand why you would do that. The Titanic is the big reason. Like, this is the thing you're showing off, right? According to the most famous proponent of this theory, a writer named Robin Gardiner, there's much more to the story. Uh, Gardiner wrote a book called Titanic, The Ship That Never Sank. Mm-hmm. Can you hear the question mark we put in there? Mm-hmm. There we go. Perfect. 
So uh, this author looks at several other events and coincidences that occurred in the months, days, hours leading up to the disaster and concludes the ship that sank was actually the Olympic disguised as the Titanic and it was an insurance scam by the owners of the owners of the concern, which was the International Mercantile Marine Group, who bought White Star Line in 1902, and the controller of the Marine Group was... J.P. Morgan. Old J.P. Old J.P. Heavy J himself. Okay, all right, all right. So the Olympic, check this out, was the slightly older sister of the Titanic, and it was launched in October of 1910, so a couple years earlier. The exterior profile was nearly identical to the Titanic, save for a few minor details. And we're talking about stuff like the number of portholes on one area of the ship. So here's one example of Gardner's argument. Uh, Gardner says that both ships were built with linoleum floors, but shortly before she was due to set sail, J. Bruce Ismay, the director of White Star Line, inexplicably ordered the floors aboard Titanic be carpeted over. There's something else. The motivation in this theory is Mm -hmm. that the Olympic had already been involved in a couple of accidents and that this would essentially be an insurance scam. So you'd collect the insurance of the Titanic for sinking the Olympic. Right. But you would still be, you know, killing hundreds of people. Yeah. You you would essentially be killing hundreds of people for a little less than our day our modern equivalent of two hundred million dollars. I mean, what do you think the uh the uh value of a human life was in in, in uh nineteen twelve? I was dollars? just thinking the same thing. We should calculate that and bring it back on another episode. I think so. That's frightening. It is. Mm-hmm. What is our value? Yeah. Oh boy. That's a good one. I like that as a title. Yeah. <laughs> what is the value of human life? <laughs> but no, I mean, I don't know. I said things were getting a little less stretchy because, I don't know, captains of industry are monsters a lot of the time. And uh, I, I don't think I would put it past a J.P. Morgan type mm. to value an investment over the lives of hundreds of people. Oh, I absolutely. <sighs> yeah, I can. I mean, in principle, I can absolutely agree. Because, I mean, yeah, it would be harder to do if it wasn't like actually an active – event when it, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't just blow up the ship at dry dock. Uh, people ask questions about that, but like, you know, mm-hmm. but then again, how do you force it to hit an iceberg? How, how, like, did they mess with the route? Like what, how would you accomplish this? Right. I think that's a perfect setup, Noel, because we're going to go into theories about, um, accidental occurrences, Mm -hmm. but I think within those, we're also going to find something that could lend a little credence to, or answer perhaps the question of how someone would intentionally do this. And just to jump in here, talking about insurance for, you know, we were discussing how people are definitely going to collect insurance on this. This was a huge investment, right? No matter what happens to the Titanic, if something bad happens, the people that own it are for sure going to try and collect as much as they possibly can on it, right? Even like it doesn't matter. They in their mind, I can't say what they're thinking, but it doesn't matter how many people got hurt or died for the collecting of their insurance, right? Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and it is tough to ascribe motive uh, without you know hard documentation. Well, let's go into even less uh, stretchy. I like that term. Less stretchy theories. Uh, the idea of possible accidental occurrences. One, and this is so terrible, a uh, possible wrong turn. Louise Padden, uh, who's the granddaughter of the ship's most senior surviving officer, the man we mentioned, Charles uh, Lightoller, claims that he told his wife a crew member turned the ship, quote, the wrong way and into the course of the iceberg after Officer William Murdoch first spotted it and gave a hard starboard order. Uh, the cruise liner was operating under two communication systems that were in direct conflict with one another. And in 2010, Louise Patton told uh, the Guardian, UK paper, that a command to turn hard a starboard meant turn the wheel right under one system and left under the other. Because I would imagine they would have maps of known iceberg areas, right? Or like, you know, if there was a 
cluster, they probably would have been charted, I would think. Right? It would be a little difficult because they could be mobile. That's true. But yeah. so but but so the communication systems we're talking about here there are largely visual and verbal. Well yeah, they were on these were on the ship too, but we have to keep in mind they got numerous warnings. There were at least four different warnings throughout the day leading up to the accident after midnight. So interesting. Yeah, so they they kept on. Maybe the captain was a bit arrogant. Speaking of, I just said it's tough to ascribe motive, and now I'm like, listen to this guy. Well, there are other things too, right? Uh, There were questions about whether or not the actual materials that were used to build the ship were possibly not up to snuff, or even a shortage of viewing uh, binoculars, uh, a, a shortage of an ability to view icebergs that had the potential to be a problem. Which is tough, you know, when you think about it, if if that is true, if there were weak shipbuilding materials, if there was a shortage of binoculars and a shortage of lifeboats, this is starting to sound more and more like some corners were being cut outside of the public eye. Here is the most plausible, and this might answer that earlier question about how someone could purposefully plan to pull an insurance scam, mm-hmm. if that's what, if that actually happened, is the most plausible or less, at least the least implausible that a coal fire either significantly contributed to or is directly responsible for the disaster. There's this journalist named, uh, Senon Maloney. I'm going to call you Mr. Maloney because I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, Maloney has a documentary called Titanic, The New Evidence. And in it, he argues that a fire had been smoldering in bunker number six, one of the ship's coal bunker boiler rooms of the Titanic, since the ship left Belfast. Whoa. So it was burning the whole time. And um, that sounds crazy, but it's true that Coal, uh, coal has the ability to combust like this. Uh, near that bunker is where the iceberg tore the biggest hole in the ship on its maiden voyage, according to the Independent. Maloney claims photos of the Titanic, uh, show dark marks on the side of the ship not facing the dock, hinting at existing fire and that it should never been put to sea. And we have a quote from Maloney for you. The official Titanic inquiry branded the sinking as an act of God. This isn't a simple story of colliding with an iceberg and sinking. It's a perfect storm of extraordinary factors coming together. Fire, ice, and criminal negligence. It was very Game of Thrones till that third one. I'm really (laughs) stoked to watch the finale tonight. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't even expecting the fire and ice bit. Uh, He goes on. I don't know why he talks like this, but he just, he does, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have experts telling us that when you get that level of temperature against steel, it makes it brittle and reduces its strength by up to 75%. The fire was known about and briefly addressed at the inquiry, but it was played down. It is absolutely true that there was a fire on the ship. What what would count as the new or revelatory or, or theoretical part of this is blaming the fire for the sinking of the ship once it hit the iceberg. Did the fire create weakness in the in the metal in the material? According to an engineer for the Geological Society of America and Ohio State University, a fellow named Robert Eisenhigh, attempts to control the coal fire in the bunker could have been the reason the Titanic sailed so quickly through an area littered with icebergs. So that, would, you know, in the film, they're trying to set a speed record, right? Mm-hmm. And like some kind of oceanic Icarus, they go too far. Too, so, too high. My so, analogy is not working. So the the reasoning here would be that they're going that quickly because they're having an emergency, essentially. Yes. There's a huge issue with this fire. We have to get to a dock somewhere and take care of this. Quite possibly. And to connect the dots, maybe J.P. Morgan, one could argue, knew about the fire and didn't go. And to connect the dots further, if we're playing a little bit of a breadcrumb rabbit hole game, maybe the fire was intentional. To be fair, there is absolutely no hard proof of this at all. This is, this is speculative, um, the, at least the JP Morgan's reaction to the fire, right? And there are a lot of myths, uh, about this sort of stuff that are 
becoming folklore at this point. However, we do know that there really was a fire, and we know that this is not the end of the alternative theories, because now we are wading into the very, very strange stuff, uh, with even allegations of the paranormal. Yeah. Did some man tell the future or somehow prescribe the events that would occur to the Titanic in a novel written in 1898? Mm-hmm. Known as Futility or Wreck of the Titan. It was a guy named Morgan Robertson, and 14 years before the Titanic met its demise, he wrote a novel that had a lot of similarities to what happened to the Titanic, and it had to do with insurance fraud. Hmm? 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 And they, uh, they think that this guy predicted it. It was revised by the author in 1912 after the Titanic sank to uh, make the ship a little bigger. A little different. Yeah, just like make yeah. it a little more similar to the events of the Titanic, probably to sell copies. And uh, so – Still, there are uh, multiple purported similarities between the events depicted in the story and the true story of Titanic, which, of course, for some of us will call to mind uh, the famous narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, written by Edgar Allan Poe, a bizarre coincidence and a very dark one where Poe writes a story about some people lost at sea and survival cannibalism and then later something very much like that happens. Mm-hmm. And Don't you spoil that Poe story for me. <laughs> I think Poe did a good job of spoiling it himself. What are you saying? I mean, it's just not my favorite of his stories. Calling him a hack? No, no. Oh, good. No. good. Just so you know, in Robertson's uh, tale, Futility, yeah. one of the main characters – or one of the characters gets off onto the iceberg with, I believe, a child and then is forced to do some battle with a polar bear that is also making residence on the iceberg. That's that's kind of fun and terrifying. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a story that I would want to read if I was in the 1800s. Speaking of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, this is on your Wait, mind. polar bears? Zombie polar bears. I'm just going to leave that right there. I have no idea what you're talking about. Not really a spoiler. It's just zombie polar bears. Okay. <laughs> I've just I've, – I've been pretending to know what Game of Thrones is for the past several years. So, <laughs> Matt, don't, please don't give me your disappointed dad's <laughs> eye. I, I, for one, feel betrayed. Matt, Matt's the kind of guy who would not be mad at you but just disappointed, which is somehow so much worse. I blame my parents. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, speaking of fantastic segues <laughs> – there, there are a couple others that are, that are pretty strange. This isn't so much a conspiracy theory as a paranormal stuff. Um, there was a, another writer in 1886, a British writer named William T. Stead, who had a short story called How the Atlantic Mail Steamer Went Down. A mail steamer in the Atlantic collides uh, with another vessel, shortage of lifeboats on board, causing enormous uh, loss of life. More than a decade later, Stead was a passenger on the Titanic, and he was one of the 50, around 1,500 who did not make it. Whoa. And then the very last one, which we saved because it's just so – it's so strange and it feels more like creepypasta or a uh, campfire story. One of the mystical versions of the crash is associated with the legendary folkloric curse of the pharaohs. An ill-fated ship was carrying the mummy of an ancient Egyptian priestess that belonged to Lord Centerville, shipping it to New York via the Titanic. I remember the whole shipping days of these boats. Still happening. To avoid the damage, the box with the exhibit was placed on the captain's bridge. Oh. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> mm. Say it a couple more times right. just in case. And at the head of the mummy, there was a statue of Osiris, according to the story. Osiris, of course, as we remember, is the Egyptian god of death. The words inscribed on this were allegedly, 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 rise from the ashes and let your eyes strike those who stand in your way. So is it talking about the iceberg or the boat? Well, you know, we could do an entire episode. I would be surprised if our friends at uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class or Stuff You Should Know haven't already done an episode on the alleged curse of the pharaohs. We've done one, haven't we? 
I know we did a video. We did a video, but we haven't done. I think there's been an audio. We oh, haven't done an audio one yet. Guess what? Write it down, guys. Here we go. Yeah, so we have some great ideas for upcoming stuff there. We have we have the bizarre origins of otherwise innocuous things, Kellogg cereal, mm-hmm. graham crackers, Listerine. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our friends at Food Stuff uh, who delve into some excellent history and culture of food. If you want to check that out, and then uh, we also have the uh, the Pharaoh's Curse. So. We hope that you have, um, we hope that you have enjoyed exploring these alternative theories. At this point, most people are, the vast majority of humanity, uh, believe the official narrative with the strongest other contender being the idea that there was a fire contributing to the, to the disaster. Uh, the other stuff is interesting. And it leads us to a bunch of different um, possible threads, right? Mm-hmm. But in the end, what, what do you what do you guys think? For me, it remains a tragedy that happened because of a lot of a domino effect of things that were occurring. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe it's just I'm too deep in the official story, mm-hmm. but I still see it as that way. Nothing has convinced me thus far about this stuff. Although the fire thing. That's the closest I would say. Well, the official story also has corroborating firsthand witnesses mm-hmm. in terms of survivors. Yeah, people who were actually there. I think it would be amazing if somebody could replace an entire ship and disguise it. But it's so amazing and astonishing because it it, it borders on insanity in terms yeah. of planning and it seems very difficult. Uh, what do you think, Noel? I think it was those fat cat standards of industry just like wanting to kill everybody for insurance money. Hmm. And they knew they were going to get a lifeboat, you know. They, they just colluded. To, I don't know, man. I, I, it's, I guess it just depends on who, who holds the policy. Like who specifically holds right. the policy to benefit from yeah. it sinking. But still, even at that level, it feels – you guys remember that board game Mousetrap mm-hmm. that like barely ever worked? Yeah. It feels like a, a level of unnecessary complexity comparable to Mousetrap. Yeah, even in those days, I mean, you had some semblance of like, you know, sniper sure. rifle kind of equivalent or poisoning. or Yeah, poison you know, someone, yeah, get someone some, with a terminal disease to perform a hit so that their family can benefit. Again, though, that wouldn't get you the insurance money. But, uh, what, you know, what was the problem? What was the issue? What, you know, mm-hmm. seems like an awful, you could get, if you wanted to make a quick buck on an insurance scam, you think you do it with like, Life insurance for a human or like, you know, like, mm-hmm. a, like building a gazillion dollar luxury liner and then <laughs> arranging a, it to sink with people on it so to in, collect the insurance money. It maybe, just doesn't seem to add up to why, me. Maybe they just got in too deep. They built three of them, right? I that mean, is true. That is true. And that would be our equivalent of just under $600 million. But still – Oh, yes, that's our other episode. We're going to find out how much each of us is worth. Justin, I think Justin Raw Materials is yeah. probably the yeah, best yeah, way yeah, to exactly. do it. Yeah. You yeah. know, like are people ever going to uh, boil us down for the copper? Well, we did the illegal organ trading stuff. Maybe we could uh, we could figure out like what would each of our organs be worth on the black market and then what would be the lifetime value of us like in like, you know, Slave labor. I don't know. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great episode too. Do check out the red market if you have not, uh, if you haven't listened to it yet. But do make sure you're not uh, listening to it while you're eating. It is mm-hmm. there is some very disturbing content in there. And most importantly, we would like to know what you think about these stories. One of the more interesting things to us, I believe, in, in these sorts of situations is that so much time has passed, you know, that uh, there's a, a pretty um, clearly cemented concept or narrative that every upon which everybody agrees. But as we know, those sorts of things can be overturned often throughout human civilization. In a, it's it's terrifying how often that can happen. We have to remember this is a species that totally thought Troy was a made-up city 
for centuries Mm -hmm. and then some guy found it and it's real so we'd like to hear your take not just on this but on uh, other maritime disasters of human history or your opinion on cruises and that's the end of this classic episode if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.